Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Talk Radio. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The epicentre of common sense and the one place where you hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In fact... Uh, as we ratchet ourselves up to become Talk TV uh, on Monday, the 25th, of course, which is just a few days away now, uh, we are more than ever uh, the one place where there is no hiding place from the truth. This morning, the usual suspects are bumping their gums about Boris Johnson and Partygate. Meanwhile, he's off in India for a couple of days, talking bipartisan trade, the war in Ukraine, though given that Prime Minister Narendra Modi has refused to criticise Russia, that might be of limited appeal. The energy crisis is sure to be high on the agenda as well. Boris Johnson is getting on with the job. Whether you like it or not, uh, Keir Starmer can make as many noises as he likes about resignation. But in the end, that isn't going to happen. In the House of Commons, there'll be much scurrying about today as Tory whips attempt to fight off the vote on whether to investigate the Prime Minister for allegedly misleading them. And the Labour Party is still singing from the same old boring hymn sheet called Resign! Resign! It's almost as if they're completely and utterly tone deaf to the rest of the country. The only people who care any longer about pushing this agenda for the rest of time to try and push Boris Johnson into some kind of corner where he ends up having to give up his job, which is never going to happen, by the way, is the people that read The Guardian, the people that sit in coffee shops all over southwest London counting their blessings that they don't have to go into the office anymore because they now work from home all the time with their lovely Apple laptops that cost more than £1,000 to buy. Well, no. He's over in India trying to figure out what to do about energy, what to do about Russia, what to do about Pakistan, and what to do about an ever-burgeoning cost-of-living crisis. That's what people care about. Up first today, we'll be talking to Ben Habib, former Brexit Party MEP, and a man who knows a thing or two about the volatility of the region around India. We'll be asking him about the revelation that Vladimir Putin has apparently boasted that he unleashed the world's deadliest weapon in a test. Satan 2, as it's rather charmingly called, carries 12 deadly warheads and weighs 200 tonnes. Could this be the latest weapon of mass destruction? I wonder. 03444991000. The Sun this morning leads with the extraordinary story of an exclusive interview by Piers Morgan with Donald Trump, which ended with the former president storming out after Talk TV's Piers blamed him for the riots at the Capitol building. Trump has since said that he didn't storm out, and, he, and the row will, of course, now run and run until the full interview airs on Monday night. He said, he said, who knows? is the point. But we'll be playing you a clip from that coming up a bit later on. 0344 499 1000. We'll be bringing you the news that Britain now has the worst record ever for people seeing a GP than any other Western country. And we'll be checking out why councils are handing out more and more infringement notices to their own taxpayers just to make more money. Tonya Buxton is here as well. She'll give us her take on the latest ramblings from the ungrateful Prince Harry and why he won't commit to coming back to Britain to see his grandma for the Jubilee celebrations. 0344 499 1000. And finally, Sebastian Gorka is here as well with the latest from the USA where Joe Biden's uh, popularity is going down so fast 
that it might not just be in the negative, it might come all the way back around and go into the positive and go double negative, because that's how bad things are going. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, soon to become Talk TV. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. What an extraordinary day. Here we are, uh, very, very close to launching Talk TV. An incredible story on the front page of The Sun, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Piers Morgan interviews the former president of the United States of America, uh, his friend Donald Trump. It all goes a bit wrong. Trump supposedly storms out. Trump says he didn't storm out, says it's fake news. Um, It's a massive story. We'll talk about it later on. We'll play the tapes and you can figure it out for yourself. But you probably won't really know until you see the real interview, the whole interview, on Monday night. 03444991000. We want your your experiences, of course, of what's going on in your NHS surgery, because now the latest blow to the NHS is that you wait now to see a GP in this country more than in any other country practically in the Western world. What an absolute shambles. Let's talk to Ben Habib, former Brexit Party MEP. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Lots to talk about, really. Uh, Let's kick off, first of all, with Boris Johnson going off to India. Uh, He's in Gujarat, I think, this morning, and he's going to be talking to uh, Prime Minister Modi about a great many things. Modi, of course, is one of the few leaders in the world who has not um, condemned Vladimir Putin and Russia for what they're doing in Ukraine. Give us just a bit of background as to why India and Russia have these close ties. Well, India is a long-standing enemy of China. Mm. And um, uh, as you might know, Mike, they've fought various wars and um, they have constant sort of rattlings in the Ladakh um, area between uh, India and China. And Russia has therefore been a natural ally of India's as a result of its animosity uh, with China. Um, Funny enough, even though we we think of India as being a natural ally of the West. India is only a very recent ally of the United States and the United Kingdom. In many senses, it was much more allied to the whole communist ideology until you know, communism itself came apart at the seams in the late 1980s. And so in trading with Russia and in relying on Russia to a significant extent for its defense capability, uh, you know, India is doing something that it's done for decades. This is nothing new. It has a very strong established relationship with Russia. And um, it's very interesting to me, and I'm delighted, by the way, to see Boris Johnson in India, because notwithstanding India's close relationship with Russia, which no sensible Western politician could expect it to give up overnight, because the, the, the impact on India would be dramatic. I'm delighted to see Boris Johnson going off to India, which is a significant economy, um, you know, about the same size as as the United Kingdom now, and dealing with India on an economic basis, looking for opportunities for the United Kingdom, doing what we all said should be done post-Brexit, which is to reconnect, you know, with former Commonwealth countries Mm. and uh, and to become an independent global Britain. And, you know, we can all get a bit... Um, you know, hot under the collar, perhaps, uh, about India trading with Russia. But I think that would be that that would miss the point. It it would it it, it, it would misunderstand the situation. It wouldn't be giving India the benefit of the doubt of the needs it has in order to trade. And it would be giving up a great opportunity for the United Kingdom. And actually, I think it would be by engaging with India 
that we're more likely to get it to pivot away from Russia than it, that, that, than we would be if we sort of wrapped it on the back of its knuckles at the moment. Yes, I think also, should we not have learned, Ben, from the recent history, even if we just look at the way that Vladimir Putin is behaving, that, you know, you can't go around carrying a relatively small stick, as the UK now does, um, telling every other country in the world how they should be going and how they should be dealing with other countries. You know, you can't tell India or every other country in the world, don't talk to Russia, don't deal with Russia. That's not... That's how we got here, if you like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really important point you make. You know, when you cast your mind back to the way sanctions work with Iran, any country that traded with Iran was, was or any company or entity or country that traded with Iran would have been wrapped on its knuckles. But Russia is a different thing. Russia is a, a you know, significant global entity. And um, to, to expect countries to just give up uh, their trade with Russia is to ask them to econo economically self-harm themselves. And, you know, India is a country of 1.2 billion people. It's not going to just turn off the taps of trade like that. And one of the things that I think is really important for the West is to seek, is to stop seeking to trade alongside exporting its ideology. You know, I think for too many years, we've, we've insisted that those entities with whom we trade follow Western ideology. And I think we've effectively ostracized large parts of the globe. Pakistan is a country I know we're going to talk about in a second. But, you know, in many respects, the West has turned its back on Pakistan um, for ideological reasons. And by doing that, all they've done is push Pakistan into the arms of, of, of countries such as China, where we wouldn't wish Pakistan to be. And the right way to do this, I think, is, is exactly what the prime minister is doing at the moment, which is to go out to India, engage with them, trade with India, find ways to make it worthwhile for India to trade with us and, to, and worthwhile for India to, over time, adopt our ideology rather than having our ideology stuffed down yeah, their throats. Absolutely. I mean, one of my first jobs in journalism, Ben, I don't think I've ever told you this, was working for a, a, an operation called the Asian Post, which in various different times was owned um, by a Pakistani shipping magnate called Mahmoud Sipra. Uh, and at other times it was owned by uh, some East African Gujaratis. And it was a wonderful kind of introduction to me, for me to the Asian community in Britain. And there's so many ties between India and Pakistan and Britain that you would think it would be a second nature to have all sorts of trade deals going on, wouldn't you? We should do. And if, if I've got any disappointment about the uh, Prime Minister's trip to the subcontinent, it's that he's not planning to stop in Islamabad or Karachi yeah. on the way back from, uh, from India. He really should. There's a new government in Pakistan. Um, whether or not we agree with, you know, with the mechanism by which they've just taken over, or whether or not we like the characters involved, whether or not we like the ideology of Pakistan. It's a 220 million... Uh, population. It's a geopolitically important country. It's a natural resources rich country. It could do a, we could do a lot by, um, you know, uh, opening, uh, uh, opening our minds in a broader sense to trading with Pakistan. And, you know, it would be great to see Liz Truss or, or Boris Johnson, um, you know, getting closer to Pakistan. And what about what's happened in Pakistan? Because it kind of slipped below the radar because there was so much else going on. Um, Imran Khan uh, was kind of side shunted, it would seem. What does it mean for the rest of the world? Yeah, so, you know, this is related to Russia as well. So Imran Khan would argue that, you might recall, Mike, he was in Moscow the day after 
um, Russia invaded Ukraine. And um, the optics of that played really badly for Pakistan because it looked like the Pakistan prime minister endorsing, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine. And Imran Khan has been arguing since then that the West has uh, bribed, cajoled, coerced his parliamentary party to abandon him. And if, which has happened, he has been abandoned by a significant number of his own supporters in, in, in the National Assembly in Pakistan. And as a result of that, a vote of no confidence was called. Um, and there were various appeals to the Supreme Court and so on. But eventually a vote of no confidence took place and he was ejected as prime minister. And there's a now a kind of very um, unholy, if you like, alliance between two otherwise sworn enemies. Um, the Pakistan Muslim League and the uh, Pakistan People's Party, one headed by Shahbaz Sharif, whose brother Nawaz Sharif is in exile for all sorts of theft against Pakistan, and um, the other by Asif Zardari, who is known as Mr. 10% in Pakistan for reasons which ought to be clear to listeners. And so, you know, it's it's not, perhaps not the most... Um, it's perhaps not the most uh, uh, uprightious of... Uh, of administrations. But it, I, I think, you know, Boris Johnson ought to be engaging with Pakistan as well. Yes, I think so. And as far as what is likely to come out of all of this, um, in terms of trade, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, bipartisanship, if you like, um, some people will say, well, isn't it just Boris Johnson disappearing off to kind of take attention away from what's happening in London at home? I don't think it is that. But what is he expecting? What is he hoping for, do you think? Well, I hope I, I think he's hoping for a trade deal. Um, you know, clearly there's a lot for India to gain by selling its products to the United Kingdom. But there's also a lot that we can gain selling our technology and our, um, you know, our products into into India. Um, it's a very old relationship, isn't it? The relationship between the United Kingdom and the subcontinent and um, the judicial system in the subcontinent is our system. Um, you know, the, the English is spoken widely across the subcontinent. The, the cultural history is very similar because of the empire. And so it's a natural trading position for the United Kingdom to exploit. And, you know, it, it's, it's good that he's doing it. Yeah, and I don't, think he's, I, I don't think this is a distraction from Bartergate. Fine enough, I was surprised that he got on a plane and went to India with a vote in the House of Commons today. If I were the Prime Minister, I would have wanted to control my MPs. But he's obviously got supreme confidence yes. that the Conservative Party is going to back him. Yes, I think he has, and I think he's quite right to have that confidence. And yes, there are still people yeah. who, are, who are annoyed about it. But the Labour Party yesterday, I think, with Keir Starmer banging on and on and on about it, um, have just not done themselves any favours and, and once again uh, over-egged the pudding to the point where people just have had enough. Yeah, I think they have had enough. I mean, I'm... I'm I'm a believer that the Prime Minister has misled Parliament, that the Prime Minister has broken rules. He's broken a law that was a very draconian, damaging law for the United Kingdom that he conceived and which we all had to live with. And so I'm very critical of the Prime Minister over his actions, um, you know, having those parties and so on. But the Labour Party need to recognise that the Conservative Party has come together over it. They're not going to they're not going to depose the prime minister. And the only thing that matters now are numbers on the Tory benches. What Labour, the Liberal Democrats and the SNP think is entirely irrelevant. 
Um, and I think what they're doing today is really more for, again, for optics rather than for any meaningful result out of it. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, hold on for your, uh, uh, we want to get your views on the energy crisis and some of the prices that are going on at the moment. We're talking to Ben Habib right now, right here on Talk Radio, the home of common sense. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Back after this. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the place where common sense emanates from. From every pore, from every sinew, uh, from every mouthpiece that we have. Uh, That means every microphone, by the way, before you start thinking it means something else. From every area uh, of this building here at News UK, uh, where Talk Towers is and where Talk TV will start on Monday. Uh, We are the home of common sense and straight talking. There's no question at all. Coming on Monday, the brand new Talk TV launches, bringing you straight talking news, current affairs and opinion and debate. You can watch the long-awaited return of Piers Morgan on his new show, Piers Morgan Uncensored. We'll be talking a bit about his interview with Donald Trump. That's every weeknight at 8pm. The new channel launches at 7pm with the news desk fronted by Tom Newton-Dunn and a new hour-long panel debate show, The Talk, featuring Sharon Osbourne. That follows at 9pm each weeknight. And the great news is you can watch it on Sky, Freeview, Freesat, Virgin Media, the Talk TV app, Roku, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Plus, YouTube. It's everywhere, basically. You can't miss it, I'm delighted to tell you. Now, a couple of things to uh, to mention to you as well, shortly before we speak to Dr Lawrence Girl as GP at Same Day Doctor, because the story that today uh, has battered the NHS is that patients find it harder to get to see a doctor in the UK than in other leading Western countries. Apparently, Britain lags behind Canada, Germany, France and the US, amongst others, where satisfaction here for the NHS is at a 25-year low. And as if to uh, sort of just nuance that, Penelope has tweeted in saying, following my tweet about the York to Scarborough ambulance, which was last week, new one, York to York Hospital, on Tuesday, there was a 29-hour wait in an A&E on the ward, but no joined-up writing. have said the same case history eight times now. I'm pretty angry. Well, I think that's an absolutely fair point. The problem is that people are just fed up to the back teeth. Uh, Ben says, I had an ultrasound two weeks ago and was told during the scan that it wouldn't pick up everything. My results were normal and no further action was required. I'm none the wiser to my discomfort and need to request a further uh, appointment, which I couldn't do in person at the surgery. Well, I think this is what we're now seeing more and more and more. People getting further and further dislocated from what it is that the National Health Service is supposed to be doing. Let's talk to Dr Lawrence Gerlis and find out. Just when somebody is going to do something. Dr. Lawrence, a very good morning. Morning, Mike. I mean, seems like every day now we're doing a different story on a different survey on some different figures that point to another part of the NHS not working at all well. Uh, Experts say increasing numbers of people are turning to their employers for health provision, fueling a boom in private health care. I know you know a bit about that. You can't really blame them, can you? No, you can't at all. I, I mean, I know this report's been done by an American uh, PR company, but, but, but fair enough. The, the, the facts are there. <clears throat> we know the NHS is broke. It's simply not working. It's worse than ever at, at all levels. At the hospital level, we've got long waiting lists. Um, people just can't get in to see their GPs. Um, uh, by the way, the GPs are fed up. I, I follow a lot on social media. And, the, the, you know, the GPs, some of them are working very hard, but they're reaping the whirlwind of having closed their surgeries mm. for much of the pandemic, um, although the, uh, you know they're in denial about that. But the fact is that has caused a lot of problems. They are open now um, and, and things are, are very difficult indeed. You said someone's got to do something about it. Well, the question is who? Because all you see on, on 
people saying, the doctors saying is, we need more money, we need more money. That's their only solution. And what I say now to the medical profession is, you're the medical profession, we're the medical profession, we should sort this out. We shouldn't be uh, crying to, to mummy and daddy, the government, saying, give us more money, because there's plenty of money going into the health service. It's just not being used properly. Well, that's what uh, I've been saying for a long time, uh, Lawrence. And I mean, finally, Boris Johnson's starting to listen to me on some of the things that he's been doing. Uh, the last one that he has yet to talk about, really, is the NHS. And, and it, it can't be that difficult. I mean, you and I have had loads of these conversations, and I know that we might differ on what the ruling uh, would be. But one of the things that we've, we've started to, to, to at least recognise is that it isn't working and it needs to be fixed. Yeah. I'm, I, was, yeah. I was doing a story the other day about how so many doctors now are only doing a three-day week. But they're also doing other things, you know, so they'll sometimes spend the fourth day uh, working in a hospital or they sometimes spend yeah. the fifth day working as a locum where they get paid to do something else. So they're not really doing a three-day week. They're just doing a three-day week as a GP, which then impacts on the number of appointments the GPs can do. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of GPs have moaned this week that, that Tuesday was a nightmare day after the bank holiday. Well, my answer to that is you should have been open like I was yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, exactly. Monday, working every day. Right. I worked two or three of that those weekend days, and it was very busy because, you know, we saw a lot of sick children, children that couldn't get access to their NHS GP, and they had to come in to see me, uh, which isn't right. I mean, you know, that's my job and I'll do it, but it's not the right way to approach these things. Um, look, there's just a lot of moaning. The trouble is with the medical profession, they've been moaning for 60 years. It's not the answer. They should take this problem by the scruff of the neck, get together and agree with each other and deal with it. It's, it's no good crying to government. The public are never going to vote for a system where people pay five or ten pounds to see a GP. But it can be imposed upon them. Uh, possibly by a united medical profession. Now, I don't see that happening very soon, but as I see it, you and I have talked about this before, it would make a huge difference. If people had to pay £5 to see a GP or to turn up with a non-serious problem at A&E, it would reduce uh, unreasonable and inappropriate demand and it would raise money for the health service. And at a stroke, you would solve a lot of the problems. Yes, I mean, absolutely right. But again, whenever I speak to guys like yourself, Lawrence, there is no sort of overarching group, is there, that can order something like that to happen? Because it seems that there's a sort of, I don't know, patchwork process which which puts together all GP surgeries. There doesn't seem to be a kind of organisation that runs any of them. They, they don't appear to operate with any of the same rules. You know, it's all a bit broken, isn't it? Yeah, the GPs are independent contractors, but those people who suggest that the answer is they become employees, you know, don't realise how much it, it would cost when you're dealing with sick pay and holiday pay and all the things that employees would impose on on their employers. It would be a problem. And the BMA, which is a union, has become sort of more radical and, and left-leaning in, in the time that since I was a, a member and resigned some years ago. So at the moment, I don't see this happening. But the reality is the, the argument against charging people to see a GP has always been, well, there'll be some little old lady somewhere that dies because she can't afford the five pounds. Well, the problem is that little old lady can't see a GP anyway. No. Now. So that argument no longer holds water. People are are dying because of poor access. They're having their cancers and other problems delayed diagnosis so they're not getting treatment so the argument that that charging somehow um, discriminates against certain people no longer holds water because people are not getting the access and pe- the health service is not serving the people 
Um, and the sooner people realise that, maybe the public will rise up and, and come up with some sort of solution. But the only solutions I can see it, I mean, you can start around the edges. You could start with the ridiculous prescription charge, for example. I spoke to a GP the other day. They've got guidelines not to prescribe paracetamol and cotton wool because people can buy from the pharmacy. The trouble is it's only a guideline and most GPs ignore that guideline, are issuing prescriptions for items which are then obtained free from the pharmacy. Yeah. And that has been going on for years. Uh, and when I was an NHS GP, it used to do my head in that people would come in and ask for elastic stockings, paracetamol, cotton wool. And I say, well, why can't you get it from the pharmacy? Oh, well, I don't pay prescription charge. Yes. Like 90% of the population don't pay prescription right. charge. So there's a good place to start. Look at that. And then we could start gradually, we could start gradually introducing a number of charges for certain items. And we could we could win the battle that way. But it's you know, this is a twenty year project and someone's gonna start the project because it's not it's gonna you know, there'll be riots in the streets. Uh, you know, like the poll tax and like other things, but we've got to deal with it because it's not working. Well, I worry about that, actually. Not that I would wish to see riots in the streets, but I do worry that people are not getting worked up as, as much as I think they ought to about this. People are much more willing to just put up with it. I mean, it's a bit like the travel business. When people, uh, I was talking to a, a travel agent the other day who said, well, you know, the thing is, if you're going to go abro abroad, you'll just have to expect to wait hours and hours in a queue. I'm like, well, why should we? You know, they've been moaning that they haven't had any business for two years. Now they're telling us they can't do the business because there's too many people trying to go places. That's what yeah. they do. Same with the NHS. You shouldn't be accepting that you have to wait nine hours for an ambulance or, you know, seven hours outside the A&E because they can't let you in until you've done a COVID test and there's nobody there to give you a COVID test yeah. or any other reasonable uh, or ridiculous delaying tactic, you know? No, you're right. People should be protesting. And the other thing that comes as part of this is the the articulate middle class who've got access to computers can push ahead of the uh, the, uh, the poorer people, the older people who are, are, are less verbal, less vocal. So you, you get people that continue to make demands on the health service, but it's being distributed inequitably anyway. Mm. So let's let's find a way to reduce demand and, and tr treat the people that really need treating. And, you know, we can have a number, a limited number of exemptions for pa patients that have chronic illnesses, but we've, we've got to give the, get the health care to the people that really need it. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I've got so many uh, tweets that I could read you. I'll pick this one from Gren. It says, Hi, Mike, my daughter has had Crohn's disease since the age of three. She was just discharged three years ago and was advised to call uh, if symptoms returned. So I've just informed them she needs medication. I was told she needs to have a GP referral, which will take months. And she's got a GCSE yeah. coming up. So, you yeah. know... This is the other thing that seems to hold everything yeah. up, that people are demanding that you get this done before you can go on to the next stage. And that's where the, the kind of logjam is, isn't it? And there are lots of stories of GPs referring to specialists and the patients being told, oh, it's a six-month wait, and then the referral is just rejected. And there was someone yesterday referred to a specialist, had to have blood tests within 90 days of the referral, but actually the blood test was 93 days. And so the referral to by the hospital was rejected. So the patient's just booted back to the GP. This sort of thing is going on all the time. You may not realise that. There are so many moving parts in the health service that aren't working. But this is another one that's coming up now, that referrals to specialists, you would think, oh, well, specialists want to see a little girl with Crohn's disease. No, that referral will take months. Mm. And someone, not a doctor, someone, a, a bureaucrat somewhere, could just reject that pr referral 
and say, go back to your GP and re-refer the patient again. Yes. And that's happening all over the country all the time and doesn't get talked about. And there's lots of things that don't get talked about. I just flagged up one of about 100 things where the system works against the patient um, and not necessarily in favour of the doctor or the government. It's just a system that's overall not working. Yeah, listen, I'm not looking to blame anyone in particular. I just want it fixed, right? This report by Edelman, yeah. as you say, is a marketing company. Um, they questioned 10,000 patients in 10 countries about their access to treatment and their trust in healthcare systems. And 60% of Britain said they could not get very good care, which is worse yeah. than, as we said, Canada, France and Germany and the US of A as well. And Savaris says this, uh, I got COVID, I was miserable for a few days, I got a phone call with the GP who said nothing, did nothing, offered no advice except for dial 999 if you can't swallow, then paid for a private GP, same duration, showed empathy, gave useful advice and prescribed medicines that stopped the worst symptoms straight away. And I think that, in a nutshell, tells you all you need to know. Yeah, we've got we've got a system that's so much under pressure. And the doctors are under pressure. They've forgotten how to show empathy and, and care in many cases. Uh, and I, I sympathise with the, the GPs. They're, they're working very long hours. But the demand on them and the, the, the bureaucracy, things like medical certificates, having to re-refer patients they've already referred, having to do insurance reports, all the, the paperwork... Uh, that GPs have to do stops them providing the care that's needed to the patient. So there, there are so many things that are going wrong and no one is really dealing with it properly. No, exactly right. Well, listen, Dr. Lawrence, as ever, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Perhaps somebody somewhere will listen to this conversation and go, it can't be that hard to fix, can it? Dr. Lawrence Girl is their GP at Same Day Doctor. Many of you will know that you've had to go private to get something done, not just because it's so difficult to get an appointment, but because the NHS and the people who are working within it are so bleeding rude. They're not very helpful. They don't really want to see you. They'd actually rather you didn't turn up at all. They'd rather just have a big empty room full of chairs with nobody waiting to see anybody because it's a bit of an inconvenience, frankly. Just don't bother. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. In search of the perfect debate. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. This coming Monday, the brand new Talk TV launches, bringing you straight-talking news, current affairs, debate and opinion. You can watch the long-awaited return of Piers Morgan on his new show, Piers Morgan Uncensored. Every weeknight at 8pm, the new channel launches at 7pm with the news desk fronted by Tom Newton Dunn and a new hour-long panel debate show, The Talk, featuring Sharon Osbourne, follows at 9pm each weeknight. Watch it on Sky, on Freeview, on Freesat, on Virgin Media or via the Talk TV app. We will, of course, still be here on Talk TV throughout the course of the day. Julie Hartley Brewer, James Max, myself, um, Ian Collins and, of course, Jeremy Kyle, uh, both of whom are here today as well. Kevin O'Sullivan uh, back here at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about councils absolutely rinsing people for money. Uh, starting very shortly in the House of Commons, uh, we're going to be looking there uh, to see what MPs are saying. They're going to be having a debate about whether to launch an inquiry uh, into Boris Johnson and whether he misled Parliament or not, or whether he lied to Parliament or not. We shall see. Uh, however, uh, before we do any of that, uh, we will be taking more of your calls. And of course, uh, coming up later on, Sebastian Gorka will be 
here to tell us what he makes of the whole Piers Morgan brouhaha, uh, which is going on. Before that, um, as if there isn't enough going on, Ross Clark is here uh, from The Spectator, of course, and The Telegraph. Um, he's written a piece about whether we really need a GCSE focused on saving the planet. This is on the news that we got the other day, uh, that there's now going to be a GCSE in climate change that you can do. Um, Nadine Zahawi, the Education Secretary, was on Julia's show this morning. Um, and here's what he had to say about it. What we're trying to do uh, by introducing the Natural History GCSE is to find the next the, the next big you know, tech genius who will help protect the planet. Uh, and of course, giving that agency to young people will allow them to channel their energies towards a solution rather than just being angry and anxious about this. Uh, three solutions. Find the next tech genius to solve the climate crisis. Really? Um, I thought the people that said that there was a climate crisis said that we couldn't solve it. They said that we had one minute to midnight. Then they said, uh, actually, at COP26, what can we do? Let's organise COP27, which suggests that uh, it's not quite one minute to midnight. Let's find out what Ross Clark thinks of it all. Ross, a very good uh, morning. Welcome. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, I mean, you know what this is going to be like, don't you? GCSE in climate uh, change will not be an opportunity to discuss or to debate or to have ideas about climate change. It will be to sort of learn by rote what the problem is and write down what it is and then get yourself an A. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the title natural history sounds perfectly respectable academic subject, doesn't it? I mean, we do, after all, have a natural history museum. Um, but if you look through the curriculum that's been proposed by the um, the, the examinations group OCR, I mean, it's got there's nothing in it that would is not already taught in biology or geography you know it's got things like dinosaurs evolution um volcanoes and so on and i mean all these things are familiar subjects to um to anybody who's been to a school in the past hundred years frankly but you know the, the purpose of it is, to, is it's the other things that have been woven in between those sort of um subjects such as i quote where they they want to um uh, you know, teach children of uh, the the implications of their choices of food, you know, whether they eat meat or not. And, um, you know, this isn't education, it's indoctrination. It's sort of training the next generation of um, green activists. And it really sort of borrows it. I mean, the fact that it's been lobbied for by Chris Packham and Caroline Lucas, yes. it tells you everything you need to know, really. It's, um, you know, it's not education, it's instruction. And it's it sort of borrows from this sort of green worldview that every, the world's under threat of by everything we do. And, uh, you know, we, the only way we're going to save all the bunnies and hedgehogs is to sort of go back to some kind of pre-industrial, pure kind of existence. And, and it's sort of, it, it's really all about trying to get that into uh, school children, really. It's a drum it into yeah. them. I mean, early. I suppose if you were the eternal optimist, as I think of myself as, um, you could say that at least it's being done out in the open now, because up until now, uh, the climate change sort of, um, you know, propaganda has simply been handed out at assemblies and in sort of various geography lessons. Now they're actually going to maybe do a subject called climate change. At least, you know, they're hiding in plain sight, if you like. Well, well, it's true. I mean, you know, the traditional subjects, they have been uh, used for many years to uh, get this... Uh, it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, uh, you know, there was this sort of horror movie, wasn't there, sort of put out by the Brown government many years ago where they were sort of, um, you know, it was a sort of animated film which seemed to make out that we're all going to drown if we left our TV standbys, yes. TV remotes on standbys, and so I thought all this junk is in the, you know, is being taught in schools as, as well. You know, at the moment, alongside the sort of genuine um, geography and biology, but the last thing we need is a huge extra dollop of it. Yeah, exactly right. But I mean, the trouble is, we have got now a generation of people who have been indoctrinated to such things. And all you've got to do is watch some of these Extinction Rebellion people as they're interviewed about why they're doing what they're doing. And it's become very much of a cult, hasn't it? It's all about, you know, one belief system. It's all about an absolute certainty that something is going to happen when clearly there isn't any evidence for either of those beliefs. Well, we've got a whole generation of children now who are frankly traumatised. They've been sort of drummed into it that sort of uh, humans are in a sort of... Um, you know, sort of existential doom. We're going, you know, we're all going to be killed off or something. I mean, that's the whole sort of ethos of Extinction Rebellion. And so, what they've picked up from a lot of stuff they've been uh, um, been rammed down their throats over the years. And you know, you read the, the genuine science does not. Um, you know, say that it's you know okay. The global temperatures are rising. It's getting a little bit wetter. You know, to I think it was about nine percent extra rainfall over the past century or something. You know, it's of that level. You know, the, I'm not saying it's not a problem, but climate change is not a problem. But the, the idea that it's sort of kind of existential doom we're all going to be killed off and starved by uh, you know the the effects there's just no basis for that in science but you know there's a lot of it's quite evident from you speak to children you see how they're reacting and so on that they they haven't picked that message up they haven't picked up the genuine science they've just had this sort of um you know excruciating um propaganda rammed down their throats for many years yes exactly right and i mean the problem is now i suppose that people will be able to then take a gcse 
forward and say, right, well, I now want to study climate change, and then they'll go on at university to study climate change. We'll have even more of them coming at us, telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing. You know, don't drive a car. You know, don't put petrol in your uh, uh, in your lawnmower. Make sure that everything's, you know, plant-based. It's just going to go on and on and on. I think we really have to fight back against this. I mean... You know, we need more people, more children doing science and technology would be a great thing. But the whole basis of scientific study, academic study, is you don't go into it with preconceived ideas. Mm. You you let the evidence lead where, where it will. But, you know, what I fear through, through this sort of making climate change such a fashionable sort of study area, and we're, we're attracting the wrong sort of people into it. We're, we're attracting not genuine people with genuine scientific inquiry but we're attracting activists people who are going into it for political reasons and um you know when you you know when those people get into sort of actual sort of universities and so on you know it's it's really sort of horrible that the the prospect that they're going to start off studying the climate from the position that from the preconceived position that mankind is doomed unless we go back to some kind of pre-industrial yeah. existence and that's what i really worry about and that that's the danger of making a fashionable area of study rather than a, you, you know a science science and technology well, one of the things the that the, 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 yeah exactly i mean one of the things that's a bugbear for me on all of this is that again watching the people who are out demonstrating first of all it happens an awful lot during the holidays because not only are many of them students of one kind or another or school kids but an awful lot of them are teachers as well right but it's incredibly white middle class um, obsession, isn't it? It is, and um, you just look at the timing of some of these um, protests, like the Extinction Rebellion um, occupation of Oxford Circus in um, a- April 2019. That mm. was in the university and school holidays. It yes. was like two weeks of the school holidays. That tells you volumes about the, the sort of people who were, um, you, you know, joining that um, dem- demonstration. Mm. It, was just, it was like university, a few academics, you know, and school kids are taking a bit of time off and um you know of course um, mo- most people are actually sort of working most of the time yeah. need to get to work and um don't appreciate these. but i think you see this is where i think it's gone a bit wrong for them because i think in the most recent uh, sort of easter blockades that they were getting involved in people are under more pressure now people can't get um you know the fuel that they want in their cars and their and their lorries and their vans because it's so expensive they can't afford to put too much in and if they get stopped when they're trying to get somewhere uh, they're even less kind of forgiving than they were before and i just think they've lost more support than they ever had over the most recent demonstrations well i know i thought somebody joked that the um insulate britain protests must be sort of uh, you know shadow caused by the um oil industry yes <laughs> to, to ruin support for the environmental cause and um no it's, it's true I mean, even if you annoy people enough if you mess them around mm. stop getting to work stop them earning a living they're not going to support your cause very much are no, they they're really not even if you know most people do have an interest in the environment obviously we want clean air clean water and all the rest but um uh, you know the, the the sort of ideology that's being promoted by these sort of people it goes rather way beyond that it, it, i mean it reminds me really it's, it's a sort of mirror image of the countryside alliance yes um, 
protests 20 years ago when the you know the real issue there was you know people trying to defend hunting so they sort of made it a protest against the whole country preserving the countryside and sort of brought in this sort of broad church of people and so extinction rebellion are trying the same thing really they're, they're sort of sucking in ordinary sort of middle-class people supporters um you know when they're real um you know agenda is is sort of a left-wing socialist primitive sort of kind of primitive socialism um you know that's where they say they want to abolish capitalism and you look at the sort of uh, um ideology behind it and behind rising up which was the group which preceded them i mean they're, they're quite clearly a, a socialist anti-capitalist group but sort of by um sort of posing as great friends of the environment they, they bring in a lot more sort of middle class mm. people who aren't really aware of the, the sort of real agenda behind it no but they also seem to have hoodwinked almost all politicians you know there's no difference between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer when it comes to net zero. You know, we keep saying that we should have a referendum on net zero. There are groups who are trying to force that through and trying to get that into the sort of public domain. Um, but there's very little kind of genuine mainstream political um, argument against all of these ludicrous restrictions and all of these ridiculous measures to try and get to net zero by 2050 or whatever the hell it is, or even to explain what it will mean uh, and, and what will actually benefit the planet, because frankly, nobody really knows what the benefit will be. Yeah, well, Nigel Lawson used to say that the biggest danger was when everybody in Parliament had sort of signed up to the same consensus, and um, there's no better demonstration of that. Um, the Climate Change Act, original one, passed in 2008. I think they had six, only six MPs um, didn't vote for it. When the, the net zero target was introduced in the dying days of the May government, that was nodded through in the House of Commons without even a vote, mm. which was absolutely outrageous yeah. and um, you know this is a huge implications for um, society for the country for the economy and it was nodded through the House of Commons without even a vote and um, yeah I, I mean I think that the fact that that was put through without a vote is a justification we need a referendum now yeah, on yeah. net zero so people can sort of really you know have a campaign go through the issues and we'll, we'll decide exactly where where we're going to um uh, where we're going to stand on this yes i think you're absolutely right ross good to talk to you thank you very much indeed ross clark writes for the spectator and the telegraph uh, piece in the spectator this week do we really need a gcse focused on saving the planet no i think it's a straight answer to that of course we do not and it will only lead to even more maniacs who think that we need to shut everything down walk everywhere cycle uh, to glasgow you know make sure you don't use any heating oil of any kind make sure you don't fly anywhere uh, unless you're really really rich and you can offset it by planting some trees you know these people have gone mad they've lost the plot they've gone completely stark staring bonkers and i don't think we need to have any more of them to be honest this is talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the epicentre of common sense, the one place where you hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, there's some cannons being fired. Don't be alarmed if you hear that sound. It is, of course, the Queen's 96th birthday. Very many happy returns to you, Your Majesty. And may I apologise uh, on behalf of that oik, Prince Harry, your grandson, uh, who seems to think it's perfectly acceptable to come and see you in secret, not tell anybody, not bring his children, not introduce you to your second 
second great grandchild that he had that's been named after you but that you've never met and who then then thinks it's a great idea to go on NBC television in America and spill his guts about all of the things that you said and to then say that he thinks that you should be protected from people really I mean what an ingrate I mean absolutely cut the boy off uh, send him flying as I've said before he should be stripped of his British citizenship he has no place in any way shape or form talking on behalf of this country and if he wants to stay in Montecito for the rest of his life I for one would be more than happy coming up uh, in this hour uh, we're going to speak to Sebastian Gorka former White House aide host of America First of course a great radio show and a great podcast he's a good friend of the show here he's got some interesting things to say his old boss and my old boss have been going at it uh, on social media uh, after an interview which is going to air on Talk TV on Monday night uh, is going to get a few of you quite worked up. Lots of people have got lots of opinions about it. Nobody's actually seen the whole thing yet, uh, but we will talk about that. Plus, we will talk about Joe Biden, who's got a few problems over running the White House at the moment. Uh, apart from the fact that nobody likes him, and that's just in the White House, nobody really thinks he's doing a very good job. And hardly anybody thinks it's only a matter of moments before he does something really, really stupid. Meanwhile, breaking news, the government has dropped its attempt to delay a vote on whether the Prime Minister misled MPs over Partygate. Tory MPs will no longer be whipped to block an investigation uh, into all of that. Uh, but, I mean, really? So what, we're going to have another investigation? The first investigation is still going. We haven't heard the result of that one yet. How many investigations do you want? Let's have an investigation into why we haven't got more investigations, eh? This is Talk Radio, soon to be Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, uh, it's time to say, unfortunately not in vision this week because we're about to come flying into your television screens back again on Monday with Sebastian Gorka, our good friend, former White House advisor to Donald Trump. Sebastian, how the devil are you? I'm good, but I'm missing the visual. I know. Talk TV, Mike. What's going on? Listen, don't worry. As soon as we're back, we'll be back in full glorious Technicolor. We'll be all over every single uh, television platform that you can think of. So we're going to get you back on next week once we're up and running uh, so that we can see you in your full glory there in Washington, D.C., because that's what we want to do. Um, But listen, um, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that your old boss and my old boss seem to be having a bit of a disagreement. Yeah, look, um, I know he's your colleague, former boss. Um, Piers Morgan is an ass. I mean, seriously, he's an ass. You are a journalist. He is a performance artist, okay? And and I'm going to say now that he kept me waiting for half an hour on the last poxy little morning show he did as a guest, never had me on, never apologised. That's not what a decent chap does, is it, Mike? Well, mind you, that particular show, I can tell you, does that a lot. They've done it to me as well. I think it's the problem with the producers because they didn't know what they were doing. But that's another story altogether. <laughs> but listen, um, what, what, what I think we can say about this, this, uh, this story, um, which is on the front page of both the New York Post and The Sun, um, is that these two guys are very much box office. Donald Trump is still the most popular politician in America. Uh, Piers Morgan, love him or hate him, very much of a Marmite character. A lot of people hate him. But, you know, this is this is the big uh, story at the moment in, in Britain. And when the interview runs on Monday, uh, we'll find out what really happened. We, we shall. But, but you know, you know what these stories are like. They're, they're, there's a lot of clickbait. I'm looking at the coverage right now. They just want to get, you know, the titillation out there. And then you, you hear from the president's spokesperson, who I've been in touch with, who's released the full audio of the interview. And you get a different story. President Trump didn't stand up. He didn't storm out. And Pierce said, we're going to be here for 20 minutes. It lasted more than an hour. He kept saying, this is the last question. And then he asked 
perform or so you, you've got to go a little bit deeper than the first representations of what happened and i think the big thing is the accusation over the election can we talk about that for a second sure Okay, so so Piers kept hammering the president, saying, "You lost. There was no election fraud. You're a loser. Can you admit it?" And and Piers, you got to stop for a second. Just two questions. If I had him on my show, which could be an interesting thing we could do on uh, on America First, I'd say the following: Number one, do you seriously believe, as somebody who's worked here in the United States, that a decrepit old man who's been a machine politician for 47 years? suddenly gets more votes than the first black president. It's just beyond credibility. And then the one that is really the, you know, beyond the forensic evidence, which will be released next month in an amazing movie by Dinesh D'Souza called 2000 Mules, that you've got to see the CCTV footage of the ballot harvesting, the geolocating data from the people who are illegally collecting uh, ballots in states where that's illegal. There's this one question. Mike, it's just it's just a simple, simple concept. If the left calls the president and anybody who votes for him a Nazi, a fascist and a white supremacist for four years, if you believe that, wouldn't you cheat? Because guess what? If I believed I was living in a regime run by a Nazi, I cheat as well. Well, I suppose that's true. But, I mean, the fact remains um, that here we are looking at the worst president America perhaps has ever seen. And that is saying something, because even in your and my lifetime, we can think of others who were not so good. I mean, Barack Obama didn't do very much, but at least he looked the part. You know, he looked like a president, played the part. He didn't go around shaking the hands of people that weren't there. Uh, he didn't forget the names of people. He didn't He didn't sort of wander off into the distance and wonder which way to come back through the Rose Garden because he couldn't remember. You know, it's absolutely embarrassing isn't it? it? It is, you know, the idea that we can look back now 50 years and treat the Carter presidency as a success by comparison. It doesn't matter what area you pick, whether you pick the economy, highest inflation for 40 years, uh, supply chain problems, empty shelves at the local su supermarket, whether it's a national security with the collapse and surrender of Afghanistan, with the lack of any, I mean, seriously, I mean, whether you like him or not, Bojo walking around the downtown of Kiev without an armored limousine, without a, a, a flak jacket, that, that should be an American president doing that. And credit to Bojo, but our guy goes home every weekend to Delaware. And I can tell you right now from my sources, the Secret uh, Service have confirmed to me this old geezer sits at his window in Delaware and stares out the window for hours on end. That's not what a healthy president does, whether it's the two million illegal immigrants who have crossed our southern border in the last 15 months. Everywhere you look, it's a disaster. And that's just a, less than a year and a half. So, yes, he will go down as the worst president in modern times. But guess what? It could be worse because the next person in line is the cackler, Kamala Harris. <laughs> well, I mean, surely nobody in, in their right mind would select her. I mean, I think you've told me before that when the selection process was going before Biden was selected, she didn't get any votes at all. She got less in the Democrat primary. So no, Republicans aren't allowed to vote. In the Democrat primary, she had to pull out at the very beginning because in the first vote, she got less than 2%. But here's, here's the the the, the corner they've painted themselves into she is the vice president she is the next in line so if something happens to biden 
if if he just you know admits that he's senile, recuses himself, she is next in line. And what are they going to do after ten years of identity politics? After choosing a Supreme Court justice because she's female and black, are they going to stop? the female black vice president from becoming the president, that could create real ructions inside the Democrat Party. Oh, it really could. And I saw you tweeting earlier, you know, could it be uh, the sort of dream ticket, I guess, for Donald Trump that Hillary Clinton decides to run against him again? The phrase I used, <laughs> uh, could we be so lucky? I mean, seriously, the, the idea that this harridan of a woman who is detested by many on her own party's side as well is making noises already. They've just, re with the disaster in Ukraine, they see another opportunity for grift. So they've reopened the Clinton Global Initiatives Foundation, which is how they siphoned money from Ukraine, Russia, Haiti, and elsewhere. With that reopening, with her giving more and more interviews, it looks like she's going to run. And just, just the, the pecan, the delicious idea that Hillary's going to run again and my old boss is going to crush her again. It, I, I just, it, it's Christmas is going to come early, Mike. <laughs> well, that's good because uh, if it doesn't come early enough, you know, Biden and Kamala Harris might cancel it on the grounds that, you know, we don't want to have any religious holidays actually interfering well, well, with anybody, look, you know, or look, Christian ones anyway. He's afraid of the Easter bunny. Did you see the video? No. Oh, my gosh. We had the Easter egg roll for the first time in two years. Right back at the White House on Monday. Of course, it was late. They had the Easter egg roll, 400 parents and kids. And, and there's one of the press staff is dressed up as a five foot fluffy bunny. And, and Biden, for some reason, is talking to somebody about Afghanistan on the lawn of the White House right. during the Easter egg you know, hunt. And up walks the bunny, and he—he—he's he, shocked. His jaw is, drops, and he looks like you know Freddy Krueger has come up to him, and he's afraid of the Easter Bunny. You've got to see the video. It's I must quite, get that. Quite... We must put that one out. That's unbelievably ridiculous. Even more, even for him. Um, let me ask you to just take a slight uh, uh, a break for one second because we've got Peter Cardwell, our political editor, in the studio with us with some breaking news. Peter, what do you have for us? Hello, Mike. Major breaking news in that the uh, Conservatives have decided to. Win withdraw an amendment later their MPs are being sent home because what was happening was that there was an attempt to get Boris Johnson off the hook moving uh, towards a, a an investigation by the privileges committee into right. whether he intentionally lied to parliament that that amendment has now been withdrawn as I say MPs conservative MPs are being sent home so what will happen is the privileges committee in parliament will investigate Boris Johnson into whether he intentionally lied to parliament right. I think this is big implications I think it's shows that there was an attempt, first of all, to try to get Conservatives simply to vote against the motion. Mm. Then there was an attempt for a compromise with this amendment to say, wait until after the Sue Gray report, wait until after the police investigation. Now that's been withdrawn and the Downing Street has kind of accepted defeat on this. So Partygate just not going away yeah. for Boris Johnson and significant moves today. The trouble is you can't really prove that somebody lied deliberately or not. I mean, well, in, most, it, in most other worlds, yeah. you either lie or you don't. But in politics, you can lie... By accident. Well, his defence will be that he did not intentionally lie, but right. the, the wider implication is that various things will come out 
as a result, possibly even photographs in terms of those parties and so on. Yeah. That could be very, very damaging right. for Boris Johnson. Uh, will this they come out in right. Sue Gray's report? Possibly in Sue Gray's report, but even even before that, in the Privileges Committee's report in terms of not just whether he intentionally lied to Parliament, but what the facts are right. around all that. So this is very dangerous for Boris Johnson on Partygate. Despite everything else, despite the war in Ukraine, despite his trade mission to India, he's 4,000 miles yeah. away at the moment. It's just not going away. No, it won't go away. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Peter Cardwell there with the breaking news that uh, they're still coming for him. Uh, Seb, it reminds me a little bit of the Trump scenario uh, in Congress when they wouldn't leave alone the whole... Um, you know, impeachment situation. They just won't let it go, will they? They don't understand that an awful lot of people who actually voted for this man, uh, as they did for Donald Trump, don't care. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I hear two different things, that this thing really matters. The, the, the boozy Friday night, you know, knees up at number 10 matter. And other people say, we're beyond it. We've got a war in Europe. So what, what's the ground truth? Well, I think it depends who you talk to is, is the bottom line. A little bit like uh, whether Donald Trump should have been impeached or whether he shouldn't have been. And whether he was impeached, he was only impeached by one part of the Congress and not by the other. Because in the end, it's also partisan now, Sebastian, that, you yeah. know, the truth really is the first casualty at the end of the day. And as I said, I mean, only in politics, a bit like when Bill Clinton said, well, I didn't tell a lie then because at the time I thought it was true. You know, only, <laughs> only in politics can you say that and get away with it. And how much was the visit to Kiev uh, a, a Philip and, and a booster for him? Well, it was a huge boost. I mean, they're naming a street after him. But I think Boris Johnson is similar to Donald Trump in that way, that he has a huge popular support. There are those who think he's a horrible individual. There are those who think his personal life is a mess. There are those who don't like anything that he does. And they will always have a go at him. But he has great resonance with the populace and he has great resonance with the people that vote for him. And there's nobody really to replace him, is there? There really isn't. Not since Rishi Sunak's been kiboshed by the Dirty Tricks Department <laughs> and it was revealed that he was actually married to one of the richest women in the world and has a big house in Santa Monica and a green card uh, and she's a citizen of India. I mean, it's mad. Stay where you are, Sebastian. We'll come back and talk some more about all the other things that are happening as well. Sebastian Gorka right here with us on Talk Radio. Peter Cardwell, thank you very much indeed. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Rev it up. Roar it out. The voice of the people. It's the home of common sense. Solid state human debate on a digital platform. Radio that stands to reason. Listen and learn. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Much to do, much to discuss. It's Thursday, of course, so we'll have the Thursday Club as well. A.D. Smith popping in with some cocktails, uh, which are currently being prepared even as we speak. Uh, we heard from Peter Cardwell there that they're still coming for Boris Johnson, even though he's out in India uh, talking to Prime Minister Modi about what we should be doing for bipartisan trade, what we should be doing uh, as far as what's concerning Russia uh, and the various things that are going on in Ukraine. Uh, what's happening? Uh, we've got Seb Gorka with us for uh, uh, the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, Seb, what's happening in the White House regarding Ukraine? You, you said quite rightly that, you know, Biden doesn't appear to be anywhere to be seen on this. He apparently, yes, is giving money. Um, but America, I don't think I've ever seen America more sort of out of it, if you like, when it comes to international conversations. I mean, Europe seems to be leading the way. I know that, that Biden will be saying, oh, well, it's all happening in Europe. But I mean, you know, what's he doing? Well, look, when we were in the White House, we, we had a philosophy that was just based on common sense, mm. that we'd 
believe in interventionism. We're not about creating, quote unquote, democracies at the end of a gun barrel, but we're not isolationists either, because that didn't work during World War Two. It didn't work after 9-11. So we have this, you know, kind of idea that, you know, America should lead without being interventionist. That is gone. That that was ripped up. And now we see a, a senile, tired, scared old man who simply isn't in control. Look at what happened uh, just a few weeks into the war when his State Department, his foreign ministry says, you know what, this Polish idea of giving their Soviet era MiGs to Ukraine because they know how to fly MiGs is a great idea and we will backfill. We will replace them with older F-16s to support Ukraine. We'll give those to Poland. And what happens less than 48 hours later? Biden's own Pentagon says, no, we're not going to do that. And we don't think, think of this. They said, we don't think the Ukrainians need those jets as, as if, you know, we can decide for Zelensky what he needs. Mm. That's the level of chaos. And, and beyond what should be happening, look at the ideological hostage taking. This is a party that is a hostage to its own ideology. First day in office, what does he do? He cancels the XL Keystone pipeline from Canada. We were energy independent. For the first time in American history, we were actually exporting oil more than we were using oil to other countries. Where as soon as he did that, as soon as he dropped the sanctions on Russia for the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, what happened? Russia became again the third biggest importer of energy to America. So, that, you know, we were grabbed by the short and curlies. Yeah. And we've got members of the cabinet saying everybody should have electric vehicles as if as if electric vehicles are the answer. Do you know the stories? I don't know whether you've seen them from from here of people who have got electric vehicles who are now moaning and groaning because you try and take an electric vehicle anywhere further than down to the end of the street. Right. You need to charge it. But every time you pull up to a charging point, there's somebody at it. So you have to wait until they finish charging their car and then you get a go. So a, a guy once took for a, what would be maybe no more than a six hour trip to Glasgow from London took 15 hours because he had to keep waiting every time he stopped to fill up every 200 what? miles. I mean, just ridiculous. But it, that's one thing. That's the logistics of the absurdity. I mean, give me a, a petrol car any day. But how about the question of. Where does the electricity that you are charging the car come from? Is it unicorn farts <laughs> or gas stations? Yes. I mean, tell me it's not coming from an oil product, isn't it, at some point? Right. Or, or fossil fuels. Yes. From windmills, guys. It's not coming from solar power in America, which has a huge industry, thanks to Obama, who've siphoned billions into that, his buddies, solar energy companies. We have less than 2% of our energy coming from renewables. Same that's here. Because that's all they can produce, you know. Yes. And I mean, you know, that's fine. If you want to use that, great. Well, go for it, you know, or, or turn down the heating or don't drive a car or do whatever you like. But this whole net zero nonsense has got to go. And I'm hoping uh, that possibly there will be yet another kind of... Um, you know, a penalty notice given to Boris Johnson, because every time he gets a penalty notice, he does something more conservative and actually makes policy. <laughs> Good. Well, let's let's keep the pressure. You know, on. He, he decided he decided to, to do away with all the covid restrictions the first time. Second time, he decides it's a good idea to ship off some of the illegal migrants to Rwanda. Uh, great idea. So I'm hoping if the third one, third time lucky, he might decide to get rid of net zero. Yeah, but he, he is. I mean, this is the shocking thing. A conservative party 
in a country that has North Sea oil and gas should understand that is the center, that is the beating heart of industry. And to hear this net zero coming out of the Tory party, it beggars belief. I know. It's a real sickness. It really is a, nasty, a nasty problem. What about the um, uh, the claim that when he got in, Joe Biden was going to do away with all fossil fuel? Is he still kind of banging that drum? We, we have... Um, he said less on that, but we have that statement from the campaign. But he doesn't have to say it anymore because he's got members of the cabinet who are saying it. He's got, you know, Mayor Pete Boot Edge Edge, who oh, is yeah. the Minister of Transport, who disappeared for three months be- because, he, what, he, he's a, a gay man who's got a male partner. They adopted somebody, so he has to go on, what, maternity leave? It was very confusing. Disappears for three months. This is the guy who says, we need to have only electric vehicles in every driveway. We need to have no fossil fuels. And the most, the, the amazing thing about this guy, he was caught by a local newspaper two blocks from the Ministry of Transport, mm out of his massive SUV driven by his bodyguards and pulling his bicycle out of the back saying, okay, guys, now you can film me going to work on my bicycle. level of hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, who do these people think they are as well? I mean, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, I go past Downing Street, not that often, but reasonably often, and behind Downing Street, you've never seen as many Range Rover Sports in one place. Um, absolutely massive numbers of them, all diesel, all sitting there waiting to be taken away, uh, quite rightly, I'm sure, to protect the Prime Minister and, and his cavalcade of people whenever they go anywhere, which is fine. I wouldn't object to them having them. I just don't want them to tell me not to have one. Not only that, it's not just the personal choice and the face. If you say net zero, you are condemning the developing world to going to the Stone Age. Okay, so what? Is China going to go net zero? Is Africa going to go to net zero? Is Russia? And on top of that, what have we witnessed in the last seven weeks? War in Europe again. Mm. And guess what? Those 70-ton tanks don't run on solar power. If you want to be able to defend yourself, it's fossil fuels all the way. Yes, we have to be good stewards, but you're not going to pr- pr- protect America or the UK with solar-powered tanks and frigates. Yeah, well, I look forward to the next uh, you know, Royal Navy ship being built with sails. Um, you know, to see how uh, see how safe and green it is when it goes into the Gulf to try and protect us from the Iranian maniacs who want to blow up half of Saudi Arabia. That could be cool, though. That could be cool. We're, 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 <laughs> with the buccaneers, with, with, with their swashbuckling sabres, that could be quite cool. Yeah, I mean, they could just crash out uh, HMS Victory out of its dry dock in Portsmouth and get back on that. I mean, you know, it was good enough for Nelson. I think so. I like that. It sounds like a plan. It's a good plan. Sebastian, great to talk to you. We'll see you next week when we're back on television because we need to see you as well as listening to you. Sebastian Gorka there uh, giving us the benefit of his views about everything important in the world. Jackie says this, Mike, that call about Piers Morgan. Why are people outraged when they hear things they don't agree with? I don't always agree with everything you say, but I still listen. I think people need to get a grip and grow up because there are more important things to worry about. And how about this from Di? This Prime Minister's conduct debate currently going on in the House of Commons right now is a complete carve-up by a useless Labour and co-opposition. Opposition. Yeah, I saw Blackford stepping up to the plate, of course. How ironic, he says, that before the debate started, Keir Starmer had to withdraw misleading remarks he made at the dispatch box yesterday. God help us. Well, that was when he accused Boris Johnson of attacking the BBC uh, and attacking the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, to be honest, if he was doing both of those things, I'd take my hat off to him because I'd be attacking them as well for being planks. 
This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 